On today's episode of the Bet the Process podcast, we will be discussing college football ratings and who's going to make the playoffs ad nauseum. We talk through quickly some NFL futures, and then we have a pretty long segment where we ramble on about everything from touts, modeling, Ezekiel Elliott's uh, performance or value to the line. We talk a little bit about the history behind how Rufus and I got to this sort of stance on touts and selling picks. Um, Obviously, if that's something that's interesting to you, (laughs) there's quite a bit on it. And then we do our super contest picks and man versus machine. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the best way for sports bettors to track their bets, see live odds, and get great gambling analysis. As Barstool Big Cat says, Sports Action is the best app for the sports better, and it's not even close. And it's available for free on the App Store and Google Play. And with that, let's start the process. Welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of the Bet the Process podcast, uh, featuring myself and Rufus Peabody, as always. All right, Rufus, we got to like first and clarify. So your name is Peabody? It's Peabody, Peabody. not Peabody. I, I, I feel like you use alternating uh, pronunciations I every week. I say it differently. I always want to correct you, but you're on a roll, and I don't want to stop it. I know. It's kind of probably going to be a shtick. Just a different last name pronunciation each time. I mean, Peabody. we can tell that you're from like Peabody. You spent time in New England. Peabody. Peabody. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, going to speech therapy for myself to correct that. Uh, let's start with this week in futures. How did you guys do in projecting the committee's rankings? We did poorly this week. We differed from the committee pretty big on Georgia and Penn State and further down on Michigan State and Washington. We thought Georgia would actually be slotted at number four, or I should say our model thought Georgia would be slotted at number four. I thought my gut said that they would be fifth, probably. I thought that Oklahoma would would leapfrog them, but um, they're all the way down at number seven. And I think the big theme here is that in the instances where we differed uh, from the committee's numbers, it seems like they were really taking into uh, consideration margin of defeat a lot more um, than they have historically. So Georgia got blown out, you know, Ohio State had gotten blown out before, but um, Michigan State got blown out, Washington got blown out, but um, even, even TCU, we had TCU a little bit higher than than um, than they are in the committee's numbers, and you know they lost pretty handily to Oklahoma. It, it does seem like a bit of an overreaction by the committee to Georgia uh, Georgia to have them go from the number one team um, in terms of their rankings to losing to what they consider to be the number six team um, and having them pushed all the way down to seven. You know, it does, it does seem to me like a bit of an overreaction. But, I mean, it's essentially Clemson and Georgia have very similar resumes, right? And, and right. now they have Georgia pushed down. I mean, and, and, you know, they probably think the SEC is better than the ACC. So it does seem like they're screwing over Georgia. Um, but wait, at the same time, could... at the same time, Clemson didn't get blown out. Oklahoma didn't get blown out. I think they're just seeing Georgia got blown out, and they're reacting sort of in a visceral way to that. They didn't yeah, pass Oklahoma the quote, lost, I test. Oklahoma lost to Iowa State. Iowa State's pretty um, good. 
they're not in the top ten, are they? I mean, and, and Auburn is number six, right? It's a, it's a big difference to me, right? Like this blowout, like who you lose to. It's like a lot of inconsistency, but maybe I agree. In, over three years, they're starting to develop some consistency. Now, an interesting thing that I heard in the first two years of the um, the playoff, whatever they have, whatever you call it, no team that has lost after this ranking, so after this point in the season, has made the playoffs. So if you use the sample size of two seasons, then then any team that loses, this is the third season though, right? This is number four. Okay, number four. Then of the first three seasons, if you do that, then no team that loses here will be in the playoffs. So does that change your point of view on like now, again, as we do this, let's project out to who you think will be the top four, the most likely top four. Who do you think? Well, first off, what you to, to your point about sort of not losing late in the season, I've looked and I've started to see if when a team lost is important in our model, and it really isn't. So it meaning that it shouldn't matter if you lost in the conference championship relative to losing, you know, five weeks before. I mean, how you lose matters. But I, I do think um, this season it does seem like they are waiting recency a little bit more. Almost rather than anchoring Georgia to that number one spot, that loss, because it's so recent, is hurting Georgia a lot more. Um, in terms of uh, end of the season, we think Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia had the top odds. I think that if the committee stays consistent on how they rated Georgia, I think we're too high on them because we thought that they'd actually still have a chance as a an outside chance, but a chance as a two-loss team if they don't win the SEC, you know, if there's chaos elsewhere. Um, like, for example, we thought that they might actually be in a conversation with a two-loss Ohio State team that wins the Big Ten. But at this point, based on what the committee has shown um, this past week, that seems doubtful. Right. Yeah, I mean... I I think what we're seeing here is that if a two-loss team makes it, it's one of the teams that right now has two losses, i.e. Auburn, Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Penn State. The the exactly. other teams that would be two losses, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Georgia, really don't have a chance if they have two losses. So but, go ahead. Sorry. I, I just I just have so much to say, Jeff. I know. Uh, you're very excited this morning. I am. I'm this stuff is so exciting to me. So Alabama, I think, has a loss to give. I think Alabama, if they lose to Auburn or if they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, is still in. And that's what our, our sort of uh, pecking order chart says um, based on um, different scenarios and where where we think our model has, would slot the teams. Uh, but I think also the, the this sort of carnage last week helps Miami in a way. I think there's a Miami may have a loss to give as long as it's not in the SEC or sorry, in the ACC championship game. They play Virginia and Pitt, and if they lose one of those games and they beat Clemson, they'll probably be in. I think yeah. Uh, Wisconsin probably not, unless there's a lot of carnage. But but I yeah, think I Georgia definitely doesn't have a loss to give anymore. I will say that the only team that can lose a game and still be in this thing at this point is Alabama. That's my guess. Yeah, I mean you're you're probably right, but I do think that there are a lot of scenarios that could happen um, that would sort of make that a little bit more murky. 
So let's let's move on to when there where there's any value um, in the futures odds. One thing that I found particularly interesting last week, we talked about there being some value on Ohio State at sixty five to one. Um, I was actually going to tweet out on Friday. You know, I wonder if this at this weekend after this weekend, you know, Ohio State becomes relevant again. And then as Friday started to take shape, I was like, man, I should have tweeted that. Man, I should have tweeted that. And then Saturday. And then whatnot, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Man, Ohio State has become relevant again." Yeah. I didn't think these odds would come in quite so much. You know, they're plus thirteen hundred. Yeah, I think they're plus twelve hundred. And you're right; I th- they, they sort of had a perfect storm of of things happen last weekend to bring them back into the fold. If and, and they still don't control their own destiny, but if they win out, they have a forty one percent chance of making it. I think the big thing that could hurt them is if Alabama loses, because then I think there's no way. Ohio State gets in uh, over a two-loss Auburn team that beat uh, that beats Georgia, Alabama, and then Georgia again. Like, there's just no way that's going to happen. And then uh, a one-loss Georgia that wins the SEC, going through either a revenge game against Auburn or going through Alabama, um, I think has to get in over a two-loss Ohio State as well. So, so essentially, that, Ohio State's is tied to Bama winning out, and if Bama wins out and Ohio State wins out, you're saying there's almost a 50% chance that Ohio State makes it. If Ohio State wins out and Bama wins out, um, yes, there's, I think, over a 50% chance that Ohio State makes over it. Over a 50% chance. That's if, crazy. If Ohio State wins out overall, they have a 41% chance. Um, the other, so if they're down to 28%, if the SEC basically gets two teams, if, if two lost Auburn and one lost Georgia, um, or two loss Auburn or one loss Georgia um, win the SEC. But they also have a chance if TCU wins the Big 12 as well. So even if the SEC gets two teams, if, if uh, yeah, two loss TCU, I think, would, would at this point slot behind Ohio State. So you see a little bit of value on TCU um, at plus 165 or one, sorry, 165 to one. Definitely um, not plus 165. Sorry. Yeah, yes. I don't know how odds work, but yeah, 165,500. Yes. And then, uh, and what's interesting is like, I think I saw you re- write an article earlier this week about how there are only nine teams that had a chance and TCU was not one of those. But TCU so saying, was. Oh, TCU they were. was one of those. I'll tell you who was not, and that's USC, who actually slotted above TCU in this week's ratings. Also, Notre Dame. Um, we do not give them a shot, even though they slotted above as well. Do you but have in your t- model? Do you have in your model preseason ranking? Um, in the model, in, in my predictive model, yes, that's still no, no, no. In your committee matters. model, not in the committee model. No, the committee model. So we I wonder, don't even use, I wonder. We don't even wonder, use our predictive rating. We that uses priors. We only use the in-season. Uh, so I. So rating. I'm just suggesting something. My um, impression is that. A highly rated preseason team that loses early and wins out has a very good chance of uh, has a stronger resume than you would think, I guess. For yeah, but team. losing earlier is generally better because more. Right, but that's what, but if you combine that with the fact that like people perceive them to be good, anyways, they want to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's like Ohio State in past years. That's been a similar situation where they've been ranked highly going in. Lost early, one out, and then got in with you know two losses or one loss or whatever. And then they got blown out though. And the question is, how reactive is the committee to that? The fact that maybe that pick doesn't look as good. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's, it's it's a lot of speculation. That's what makes it so much fun. 
So finally, you also see a little bit of value on Clemson. Clemson's kind of like the under the radar team, I think. Um, they're you know you can get them a little at a little bit better than seven to one. It looks like you have them at six to one. Yep, yep. I mean, seventy percent chance of making the playoffs right now. They control their own destiny. If they win out, they're in. If you know, there are a few scenarios where they could lose and then win the ACC championship game. They lose between now and then, and still make it in but those are kind of long shots and uh to your point about you know alabama being the only team that you think has a loss to give i mean the committee has shown that they're going to react strongly to a loss later in the season at least that's what they showed with this week's rating so you know this is this isn't pure science as you know it's we have a model but at the same time we're, we're modeling you know subjective human decision making behavior which is like inherently difficult and you called it a fool's errand <laughs> what do you uh so if you had to pick today top four teams and i'll do with this also so top four teams in the playoffs what you would bet on right now with every team being Ooh, even the money. most the most likely scenario yeah sure the modal scenario i think who um thanks for taking it back to geek speak uh-huh uh, you're going to get a little more geek speak later on. Um, that's can't it's wait. definitely going to be can't Alabama, wait. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin, I believe. I, and I'm not looking at. We have a chart somewhere that Cade made that like. Okay, has, I'm going Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. That's my top four. Okay, and you're going Wisconsin. I, I think the, I think those are. I I, I think actually our, Ohio State might have been above the uh, been in there as the modal one. Um, but I think those are all, both of those are, I think, the, the two most likely. I think I'm going to take myself some Ohio State at that at that price. It's just too fun not to have more Ohio State to root for. Uh, okay, so where do you see value this week? Last week, two and two. Um, the Ohio State game was a huge blowout. What's interesting about that game was supposedly the public was all over Michigan State, although the line went way up. So... You know, this is one of those ones where everyone's like, oh, yeah, the sharp money's on Ohio State, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But I, I have a hard to, I mean, the public, it, it's just like, this is where all this stuff is, just doesn't make any sense. Like, Ohio State has clearly been a team that sharps or that models have liked more than general people all year because their lines, we, you've always thought there's value on them. There's lines have often gone up. Um, it's hard for me to believe that public people are not betting on Ohio State. So it's just this is this whole narrative that drives me crazy about public money versus sharp money and all this kind of stuff and what it means. Um, it's just too hard to decipher and it just creates great narratives after the fact. But wasn't there that data on it? I think Sports Insights had some tweet or yeah, something they had about some how at the top three, you know, public teams in the most popular games. Um, if you'd bet against the public, you went three and zero. I think there were, you know, you would bet on Auburn, you would have bet on Miami, and you would have bet on Ohio State. Um, Here's the question: I, Would I you have been getting Ohio State at minus sixteen, or would you have been getting them? Or is that what? I don't, I don't remember where it closed. Or eighteen? Like you know, it closed at eighteen. I think. Yeah, it closed it. I closed at eighteen. I think it was. I think it didn't matter. I mean, they're just basically saying where the money was. Um, you know, sort of irregardless of price. And by the way, when I say irregardless, I do it on purpose. It's supposed to be one of those uh, annoying, ironical things, maybe, because it is a word, people. I know you think it isn't a word, but it is a word. Go look it up. It's been added to the dictionary. 
It means the exact same thing as regardless, which I know is stupid, but it's fine. It's fun to use because it annoys people. So irregardless of any of that, let's move on um, to the uh, picks today uh, in college. You want to run them down? You got five for us? Sure, let's do it. It's a string of big favorites, surprisingly, because normally I'm more on the dogs. So Oklahoma minus 36 and a half at Kansas. Ohio State, again, minus 40 and a half against Illinois. And Auburn minus 36 and a half against Louisiana Monroe. And I think all those teams, with the exception maybe of Oklahoma, feel like they need to be impressive as well. And that's not factored into my numbers, but I do think that that's the case. Um, in sort of games that nobody else really cares about, uh, the Army team, plus two and a half at North Texas. I think that's probably the biggest edge I see this weekend. And Ball State plus 20 against Buffalo. Ball State is a team that is in serious disarray. They yeah. keep getting their the crap kicked out of them. And that's why there's value here, obviously, because it's a, it's a, you know, it's ugly. It's a, it's a frog. It's one that you, you know, and so they, there's just seemingly always value on them every week. All right. Moving on to NFL. What are we seeing there? Anything interesting after this week? Um, it looks like your top four teams are New England, uh, Pittsburgh, Philly, and New Orleans. And you still like New England with a slight edge over Philly as the top team. Are you talking about in futures here? Or no, in, I'm looking uh, at your ratings. Oh, no, no. You actually, sorry. Uh, I was looking at ESPN FBI. You have New England <laughs> by far the favorite, huh? Uh, for the for the Super Bowl, yes, I think that they they shot up. They were already the number one team in the Massey Peabody last week, but they shot up with their with their win against Denver. They looked very impressive. Their play success number was in the about in the 99th percentile um, relative to historical things, and and play success is big in our model too. Yeah. So yeah, we we make them plus 280 to win the Super Bowl now, and actually that there's some value at some places. You know, if you're in Vegas, you're probably mostly seeing like plus 250s, but and I think if you, Jeff, you sent me something that says there's plus 345 out there offshore. So I think that's good value. Football Outsiders only makes them nine to one, which I think is, I mean, not what I would make them. <laughs> yeah, they have like uh, Football Outsiders, I think, still has them very low defensively. Um, I, I was reading something that Shats tweeted out about that. Um, Again, like so much of what football outsider football outsiders rating system is like a one trick pony, right? It's all based on play success. So, EVOA. Yeah, it's all so it's like it's going to be limited in terms of catching. So it's just like it's like you, when you used to give me crap because I used to always quote a lot of yards per play stuff, and you tell me there's more than yards more out there than yards per play. I mean, you should tell Shats there's more out there than DVOA, but that would probably you know ruin his world. So well, DVOA. It's, it's supposed to be like a catch-all. It isn't just play success. It, it sort of combines play success and yards per play in a way because it's like net, well, it's adjusted um, it's, value it's, per play. So it ranks a play in the value it adds. But here's right. the problem with that. It's play it's, success it's, with context. But, it, but it's, I mean, a play success I think of as a binary. So this is like how successful was it? Fine. But, you know, so 75-yard touchdown passes can be much, much better than a, than a 10 yard pass. But but the problem I think with those types of things is that they overvalue the sort of higher leverage goal line type things. Like if you score on fourth and one at the goal line, that's you're, you're 
I think if I'm understanding it correctly, your DVOA on that play will be very high. But at the same time, I don't think predictively that play means more than, um, you know, a third and one at the 50 yard line. Well, that that's again, that's my the, my greatest problem with DVOA is I will believe that it's the best way to assess how a team played or performed versus expectation. But it's not necessarily the most predictive way going forward. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that's where you need a little bit more advanced uh, statistics than, than Aaron Schatz has in his arsenal. Um, and so that's, you know, that's why I think it's hard to be using that stuff to gamble. Um, and again, we can harp on this over and over again, but that's why he should not be selling picks. Um, all right. Um, so then there's some value on New England. Uh, looks like you see some value on New Orleans. New Orleans is sort of an interesting team at, at 10 to 1. If you, uh, you see a little bit of value on Minnesota. And um, there's still some value on the Ravens kicking around at 165. 165 to 1 seems to be the magical number of today's podcast. If you can get 165 to 1 on almost anything in life, you should take it. No? Uh, I would do it. <laughs> on anything in life? How about I'm uh, marrying a supermodel? Would you take 165 to one on that? You know, I probably would. I, I feel like I would have to. Things would have to break my way a little bit. But you'd have you'd control that. So depending on like how much the bet was, you could just pay that supermodel a certain amount of money to marry you. Not saying that you would have to do that. I don't want to disparage your uh, attractiveness. To no, the I think I'd have sex. to do it. No, you wouldn't. I, I'm not a supermodel, Jeff. I'm yeah, but you. at some point, at some point, supermodels, there's supermodels out there that are indexing for, you know, there, there's like some geeky supermodels that really want a smart dude like yourself. True, but I'm not, supermodels aren't my type anyway, but, you know, <laughs> 165 to 1, like, you know, maybe that type could change. Do you think somewhere in some alternate universe, there's a couple supermodels doing a podcast saying, what are odds of uh, marrying a total stat nerd? Probably not. Do supermodels Probably. do podcasts? Well, in the alternate universe, sure they do. Why? Why wouldn't they? I mean, say it's our alternate universe. Alternate we can say it anything else. Yeah. So your top NFC team is New Orleans. Am I? Yeah, that? yeah. They New Orleans is in terms of the predictive ratings. New Orleans followed by Philadelphia, Seattle. Meaning, like taking strength of schedule into account. Yeah, this is this is how how strong the team is going forward. So on a neutral field, I think New Orleans would be favored stop, stop, over stop, every team stop, in the listen NFC. Listen for a second. Listen for a second. So this is just saying their absolute value. If you if New Orleans played Philly, you'd have New Orleans favored on a neutral field. Yes. Got it. Very slightly, but yes. So the top four are New Orleans, Philly, Seattle, Minnesota. Your top four in the AFC are New England, Pitt, KC, and Jacksonville at number four, which is... Jacksonville, but the AFC is weak. Did you, know, that, um, did you know Blake Bortles is Jacksonville's quarterback? I'm not sure. I, I, I was not aware of that. He still exists. Yeah, it's not... Uh, Byron Leftwich, if you were thinking it was Byron Leftwich. But you know Byron Leftwich? What about David Gerard? Gerard. Yeah. Can I can I tell you my David Gerard story? This is a Let's great story. So I did this uh, fantasy draft um, back in the days when I had a fantasy startup, and it was for celebrities. And so we had Brooklyn Decker and Ronnie Lodd and Jim Nance were in this whole thing, and we were using this new software that we'd built on Facebook that allowed you to play fantasy football on Facebook. And so we're doing this celebrity draft. And so some of the people had reps drafting, but like Brooklyn Decker was actually drafting, which was cool. And like Jim Nance was actually drafting, but Jim Nance was doing this while he was driving on his laptop. He had pulled over to the side of the road and was using some Wi-Fi through his phone or something like that. 
And of course, like the software we created, it's the first time we'd used it. It was it had some bugs to it, especially the auto draft stuff had some bugs to it. And he somehow got put into auto draft and drafted David Garrard and already had a quarterback and just started like polite, nice Jim Nance started swearing into the chat room saying, why the fuck would I want to draft David Garrard? I don't <laughs> want David Garrard. He may not have dropped an F-bomb, but he definitely was not happy with the, our software, which was funny because, you know, he had just previously called me on his cell phone and he was so nice and polite and he had that da- he had that Jim Nance master's voice. But some reason, David Garrard really created a visceral reaction in him. All right, let's move on to Faderade this week um, and talk a little bit about an article that Todd Furman, who is obviously a, a friend of the podcast, he's not really a friend of the podcast, but he's someone actually that gets featured on the podcast a lot. <laughs> Probably hates me, um, which is Do we okay. have any friends in the podcast? Uh, yeah, I think. Well, that's actually we can cover that because I mean we're not trying to make friends though, right? We didn't start this to make friends. Like you and I are friends. At least we have each have one friend, so that's that's fine. Aw, oh, so nice. Uh, okay. Todd Furman he wrote an article about the concept of the 10 sort of questions that you need to ask yourself if you want to be a sports better. And, um, you know, they were the, the article kind of drove me crazy. And one of the things that drives me crazy about the stuff that he tweets out there is it's this sort of like holier that than thou, like I'm Zen. I know what I'm doing more than anyone else in the world. If you were a sports better you know, you need to follow my advice because I'm going to lead you to the promised land, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of the advice he writes reeks to me of someone that doesn't actually bet. Um, and that's been sort of the, 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 you know, the challenge with Furman over the years is like people don't really believe he bets. Uh, irregardless of all of that, I thought it would be interesting to, to use this as a backdrop to talk about um, what advice that we would actually give to sports bettors. Um, I think Clearly, the focus on the process is, is one of the big things. Um, you know, some of the other things, Rufus, that you have, what would be some advice that you have? Well, I would say don't bet on something that you haven't really thoroughly tested out of sample or, you know, you, it's not possible to test everything out of sample, like maybe prop bets or something like that. But But you need to have a reason why you think that you actually are going to be able to beat this market. Right. That isn't just like a pipe dream and, you know, like thinking, yeah, be honest I mean, with I, yourself about it, basically. Be, you be know, humble. I think that one of the things that he talks about is like ask yourself why you bet and that kind of thing. And I think that most people are betting for entertainment value. Most people don't have models. Most people aren't trying to actually win money again. Like they, so I wonder about a lot of this. You know, the advice is the difference is between being like a professional sports better. So a professional sports better has a model or has some method or process that they believe in. Do you believe that people can be successful sports betters over time without any analytical mathematical system? Yeah, you can be better than flipping a coin, I think, but you don't think don't... you could beat the fifty two and a whatever half percent? You know, if you waited and placed a few bets a year. If you just bet on Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor and things like that, maybe. No, no, no person has actually the discipline to do that. <laughs> no, you know, I, Jeff, you you were getting on me about the fact that I'm not a true gambler like you are because I, I, don't, I only like positive EV bets. Um, 
last week, and I actually placed a bet without any data to back me up yesterday on the U.S.-Portugal soccer match, which I actually took a bus two hours north to the town called Lirera. I don't even know how to say it, uh, to watch the game. I, I took the U.S. at plus 825 and some on the draw at plus 380, and if their uh, stupid goalie hadn't let a ball in through his legs and another, uh, you know, Got if and another uh, goal hadn't been wiped out due to a penalty, I think the U.S. would have won that game like three to one. But it was a tie. Oh, so you won on the draw? I won on the draw, but I had a lot more on the on the to win. And the U.S. like plus eight twenty five. They actually like played better than Portugal. Now, granted, it was I thought it was Portugal's C team, but the guy Dude, in front you don't of know anything about soccer. Z team. Like you know anything about soccer? Like, oh, I love commenting on it during the game. Like I know. Like what the <laughs> so, fuck is that guy doing? So I was. I was doing this uh, sp- uh, panel at the Sports Media and Technology Show, which is put on by Sports Business Journal. It's you know a, a decently high um, level sports media conference, and they were asking me about a bunch of things. And I made a comment about being American and therefore not watching soccer, and I got a lot of flack about it because you know. But like the I, then someone asked me why I don't like soccer. And I said, it's not that I don't like soccer, but soccer drives me crazy as a sport because it, I hate these sports where teams can completely dominate and still lose, right? And soccer is like a perfect example of a, a game that people, a team can totally dominate. Like, it doesn't happen quite as often in sports that have more scoring because there's more opportunities to increase your lead or to show how you're doing better. Like, I, I feel like in basketball, the randomness is around like three point shots, but in, and so obviously there is some amount of randomness there, but in soccer, the randomness is around every goal. It's, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's the whole slow down the game thing, create a smaller sample size and the bad teams or the teams that, you know, the underdogs tend to want a slower game and create fewer opportunities for either team and fake more injuries and take longer on, on the throw ins. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. So back to, back to this advice for, you know, I, I think there is like a level of like determining why you do sports betting. And if, if you really are trying to make money with it, then I think you need to do it in, in a sense of like building out a model. Um, I was talking to a, a young sort of sports better who is relatively successful. Um, he's an actuary um, and whatnot. So and he uses advanced metrics in his handicapping, but he's actually never built a model. So he's sort of using advanced metrics you know, subjectively. And I told him like, listen, that, that approach kind of works, but I also think like, you know, you're an actuary, you should be able to build a model, build a model and, you know, put, put some, put this into some discipline. And so I think the advice first would, would really be to try to build a model. And I think based on what you're saying, it's, it's also like, make sure that model, like back test that thing, make sure it really works. Um, and then, um, I do think there is a notion of of money management that's really important, right? It's it's basically making sure that what you're betting is not so much that you know, in, in the words of you know Todd Furman, you know that I think it is interesting because when we had that when I had that article, I mean that argument back with Furman about money management or about sorry bad beats. Um, some of the people on Twitter chimed in and said, well, the problem is is that the reason that Furman has a point is that people do tend to overbet and. I think that's oh, yeah. true. I, I think like the concept that we've been asked a little bit about flat betting versus Kelly. Um, if you guys want to look up Kelly Criterion, it's it's a money management strategy that's based on your bankroll and based on uh, you understanding the advantage you have 
Um, and, and in that case, you're not flat betting. You're betting more when you have more advantage. You're betting more when your bankroll goes up. So if you win more, you start to bet more. The problem with Kelly, especially in sports betting, is it, 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 you know, it says that you know your advantage. And I don't think that it, it's hard, much harder in sports, fan, in sports betting. So like in, in blackjack, we bet to Kelly. We bet to half Kelly. Um, but you still don't know your edge every single hand in blackjack. If uh, an example yeah, you, would be rolling you actually, dice, you know, you, you actually do, Rufus. If you're counting cards, you know your advantage. Not, you don't know your advantage definitive. Like you know your advantage much better than you do in sports betting. Yes, yes, but you don't know it definitively. You can say, okay, the counts plus six here. My edge is, you know, probably like. Well, what know, the like hell do you mean by definitively? Then I mean, I think that's as definitive. Like, like definitively, as, yeah. no, definitively is like rolling it, rolling a die. A rolling this, dice, like something is, where there is where there is an actual probability that you know with certainty. That's what full you know about card counting. Like. Sorry, it's the exact same thing as rolling a die because when you roll a die, there's there's like a lot of in card counting, you know the composition of the deck that is remaining, so you know what your probability of winning or losing that hand is. You know, definitively. Over, yeah, I mean, you what know, do you mean by definitively? Defin- okay, like, I don't know exactly is, what card cards are going to Card counting is a shortcut to try to figure out what is remaining in the deck. It's not you don't literally know every single card, and you, you know you the, know that there's more high cards left versus low cards, and you can estimate with a good degree of certainty what your edge is, but it's not. It isn't precise, like like you know what the probability of rolling two sixes is when you um, roll in craps. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think there's much of, as much of a difference as you're saying because the uncertainty certainly there's a teeny bit more uncertainty because in I mean there are some card counting systems where people are are tracking things even more precisely than we did, i.e. not just high cards, low cards. They're doing a side count of aces or they're actually quantifying different numbers um with different you know like what's that yeah the one i used back when i played blackjack ever was i think called the high op two where you had like four fours and fives had a different value and yeah yeah Yeah. i mean but but my my point is that i think that you are underestimating how much i mean I, i do think like you know pretty well what your odds are of winning hands are um and you can bet to kelly relatively effectively in blackjack um and you should bet to kelly in blackjack if you are card counting because it is it does maximize your profit but in sports betting it does, i don't you know i don't know right i mean so in sports betting the thing is you can estimate your advantage you can say that like i can say that i know historically my model when i weighed it with the closing line like you know i should weight the closing line 60 percent and my model's number 40 percent and so i can then figure out what the edge would be but you know, there's some games where there's injuries and there's a reason my model's too high. And so, I mean, I can't say with certainty on a particular game what my edge is. I can say that this is my best estimate for it, but there's a whole distribution of what my true edge really is. So there's, if you bet, if you bet full Kelly, which means uh, betting the, like, I mean, Kelly is a, it's a formula. It's, it's a, it's a equation that's maximizing your, um, bankroll growth so um if you bet that you're gonna be way over betting but the other thing that's that's the thing like i think there is like to ignore again this is like the Furman thing that drives me crazy to ignore the emotional um component of sports betting like it's different than than blackjack right blackjack is this like game with cards and all this kind of stuff and like sports betting there's a ton of emotion involved in and if you don't believe that that's the case you're kind of a robot i think that like people like you know some people are good at that 
And I think that the thing that betting Kelly does is it introduces and, and not flat betting. Okay. So let's, let's just call it not flat betting. It introduces variance. Um, and variance is one of the things that drives a sports better crazy because we know that there's going to be huge swings. You're going to go through like weeks where you feel like you're never going to win again. And you're going to go through weeks where you feel like you're the smartest person in the world and having, uh, different size bets will just contribute to the anxiety that you see when you're on one of those bad runs. Well, plus if you, and if you don't have an edge, like your Kelly stake should be 0%. So like, why should you up anything? Yeah. But one thing really that he, he mentioned, he said like, you should define your bankroll as how much you're willing to lose. And I've always, I've always thought that a bankroll was basically your entire financial worth and you're betting a percentage of that. Um, but again, that's based on, actually betting zero percent if you don't have an edge well that's so so people always ask me like in the blackjack days they'd be like oh so when did you know to walk away and that's and i always say i'm like listen that's you're operating on the premise there that you have a disadvantage we believe we have an advantage we we know we have an advantage over the casino so there's no concept of walking away as long as we can keep playing we have a positive ev game we keep playing And, and that's the difference between you and most sports bettors, you have a positive EV and 99% of the other sports bettors out there have a negative EV. So the way that you operate should be very different. And so again, like you go back to this whole concept of, of Furman's article, it's just BS because like if he really believes that he has a positive EV, then a lot of those things, notions that he's saying aren't true, right? But he doesn't really have a positive EV is my guess. Well, I mean, he's, I think this article is catering to recreational gamblers as well. But I mean, people have asked me that, like, when would I, how much would it take for me to lose to walk away? And and the one thing with sports betting that is not the case in blackjack, though, is that it is not, it's not a closed system. I mean, markets right. change. It's right. like saying I had a hedge fund this and I was not, making you know, this money stuff, until this I did the book didn't. I'm going to write. I've told you about this. This is the book yeah. I'm going to write. Am I still going to get a chapter? Yeah, you're definitely going to get oh, it. But now, but now you it can't be anonymous. Anonymously, but now it's going to be hard to be anonymous, especially if I call you Poofus Rebody. Um, they, they'll know who you are. I like that name, yeah. Poofus. Uh, all right, so let's move on. We're we're kind of changing the uh, tout or sharp segment to now be called this week in touts and this week in feature touts and talk about them. I think one thing that people gave us crap about was like you don't really feature anyone that's not a tout. So why do you call it tout or sharp? Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about was I had like an exchange with Ed Fang, and you know Ed is Ed probably hates me now because I always talk negatively about him. So maybe when I see him at Sloan, it'll be sort of this awkward interaction. Um, but he tweeted out a lot of sports books still at mi- minus three, despite the news that Dallas, you know, running back Ezekiel Elliott won't play on Sunday, and that just seemed like one of those like marketing tweets say something to not say something so i kind of responded okay well how many points do you value ezekiel elliott to the spread it took him a while to get back to me and he wrote no model for it but i can see the argument for zero to three points which to me seems like the ultimate non-answer right this guy ed obviously we've mentioned he's a statistical genius we believe that um but I wonder a little bit about someone that sells information to not have a more of a point of view on the worth of Ezekiel Elliott uh, to his team than a range of zero to three points. Um, it just seems like a cop-out, non-answer, and I would hope to get better from him. What do you think about the value of Ezekiel Elliott, and do you think I'm being too hard on Ed? Uh, maybe, <laughs> but I, I think... Um, 
yeah, it wasn't a tweet that really said a lot. I, I do think that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm betting my own stuff and I don't have a model that evaluates the value of Zeke. I mean, you, I've done, also, I've done stuff about looking at positional values based on this amazing injury data set that, uh, that Cade and I managed to uh, get our hands on. Um, but that was like five or six years ago and it was like 12 years of data. So we were able to sort of see uh, on average the value of a position. But I think that like, honestly, um, when you mentioned this to me, Jeff, it got me really kind of excited to think about how I would go about doing it. And um, that's the stuff I like talking about, too. So bear with me for like 30 seconds of stack geekery. But I, what I would try to do would be a, t- a mixed effects type of model. I don't you can't just look at how the Cowboys offense is done um, in games that Zeke's played in and ones he hasn't. There's just not enough of a sample. And you can't just look at you know, rushing average too. I mean, Elliott's averaged 4.76 yards per carry the last two years. Other Dallas running backs are 4.45, but they're in different situations too. Um, And you need to, what you do care about the passing game. I mean, having an elite running back like Zeke changes how the defense has to play you, which opens up the passing game. So what we need to look at is the entire offensive package. We need to look at passing, rushing, play success, all the stuff that goes into the Massey Peabody stuff. Um, So, what we need to know is generally the population variation for how much losing a starting running back matters, meaning I need to go through my database and mark all instances where a starting running back was out. And then I'd run something called an HLM model and have a fixed effect for how much a uh, losing your running back matters. And then you're able to basically have what's called a random effect um, for each running back, which would be sort of done in a Bayesian way using some stat magic. Um, to see if there actually is statistically significant variation. And it sort of um, is, yeah, Jeff's eyes are glazing over here. Um, and I'm sure most of you listeners are having the same thing happen. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, but I think it, it would it, approach it in a... Hopefully there's like 1% of our listeners, which represent probably 0.1% of sports fans. So I can't even do the math of that. But that's a very sport, small portion of sports fans that actually listened to that or cared about that. But I think it is interesting to think about how you would model um, his value. And and it, it just, I think the bigger thing, it just, it just goes to show you that people that, that say that Zeke is worth X amount of points um, have no clue what they're saying because there's no way that they ran through this type of complicated um, analysis. I think like, again, to be fair to, um, I would have preferred an answer for, from, um, you know, Ed that said something like, listen, my model is not a, is not a bottoms up model. And it doesn't, it doesn't have individual players like running backs. The effects of running backs are, are very hard. Um, you know, like just like we've always kind of said, like, I mean, I think one of the things that you decided is that it's not really worth, worth it to try to quantify, um, injuries outside of, um, quarterbacks. And what you do is you sort of subjectively try to look at those, um, and try to understand those. I mean, the reality is it's very hard to do this. Um, and simply saying like it's between zero to three points is sort of lazy to me. Um, I, I would basically, if someone asked me the question, say, uh, I don't really know what it is. Um, and that I think that the markets will tend to overreact to it. So I think the interesting point around what, what, um, you know, what Ed was saying was sort of that, you know, the, either the, the, the price had been built in, i.e., the that's why the mo- I mean, the, the that line moved to three and a half. That's it. 
So either people fundamentally believed that Zeke wasn't playing, people fundamentally believed that Zeke wasn't worth anything, which I don't think markets believe. So markets already had kind of priced that in. Um, and it, it's just, it, it, it's a very, it's interesting, right? And I think like your complicated answer is an indication of how challenging it is to actually do something like this. It is. And, and you were talking about how there's, um, you know, how Ed's a statistical genius and, and that's, I think there's one, that's a huge aspect of this, of course, being able to be good at that. And I wish I had Ed's intelligence. Um, but I think the, the one thing I've gotten from years of doing this and, and sort of, I think what is my strength is being able to sort of, is problem solving and sort of being able to, um, creatively and logically think about, you know, a, a question such as this one. Yeah, I was actually, um, I had lunch yesterday with the inspiration for this podcast in some ways, or at least the inspiration for the title um, with Sam Hinkey. He came over uh, to lunch at Twitter with me and we were talking about some of the general concepts that he's thinking about, you know, exploring um, either sort of in his next job or he's working right now um, teaching a class at Stanford Business School. And the idea of trying to uh, go and, and help data scientists in a lot of ways beyond just the actual methods of data science and around approaches and around how to sell your analysis into people, all that kind of stuff. That That is um, at the core of, of sort of the next wave of what's going to make data scientists and, and people successful. So it's not just the statistical acumen or rigor or methods. It's, it's around approach. It's around creativity. It's around actually being able to package this stuff up and sell it to people and, and make people understand it. Um, I think that's really the next wave and the most important thing for like data scientists to focus on. And, and so, there's definitely an art to it. Yeah, of there, course. I mean, of course, there there yeah. is there there's certainly an art. And in in sports gambling, there's even much more of an art because you're you're really going. I mean, not much more. I mean, certainly in financial markets, there is, and and almost in anything we do. So. All right, um, moving on. Um, there's a tout that you wanted to talk about that's sort of near and dear. And let's give a little background on this. Like you and I um, would consider ourselves uh, to be friends with Gil Alexander. Gil um, lived in San Francisco. We we spent a bunch of time together. Um, good dude. Um, had both been on his podcast at different times, um, and then kind of had decided to not be on his podcast anymore. Um, and, and a lot of the reason was because of um, this, his association with a lot of touts. And I, I think that to his credit, he, you know, he believes most of these guys that he has on his show are really good people and all this kind of stuff, but they do sell picks. And that's where you and I had kind of drawn the line because we got a lot of crap from the sort of Twitter sphere about being on a show of that type. And, and when I, when I, heard it and thought about it i was like wow they're kind of right you know like I, I shouldn't be on a show like that if i really don't believe that pick sellers are are you know if i don't support pick sellers and so how can i be on a show that supports pick sellers so you went on the last show and, and had sort of a memorable exchange uh with um marco d'angelo do you want to talk about that uh yeah so i you know last year yeah i, I was I've gotten attached quite a lot for for going on Gil's podcast, and I, I think you're right, Jeff. That it, you know, I, I never really thought about it a lot before. I was like, oh, you know, I get to talk about sports with Gil and some of these other people, um, but I didn't really think about the fact that I guess if associate like I, you know, I don't want to associate my name with people that are selling picks, and I don't want to sort of legitimize um, them. I mean, if yeah, so. On my last appearance, um, I think it was last January, I, I told Gil I wanted to actually, um, I told him I'd be on it. And I said I wanted to like 
say something at the beginning about how I feel about pig selling. And so um, I, I wrote out this whole, like a bunch of notes on what I wanted to say. And I, we started um, talking and, and, you know, I, it sort of devolved into this guy, Marco D'Angelo sort of yelling at me for coming after his livelihood. And it was like a 30 minute shouting match. And he was, he was getting on me for lumping all pig sellers together. But honestly, I think that's kind of the defense of every tout, right? You say, oh, yeah, of course, there's some bad apples. Um, and and I'm not saying that, like, Marco is a bad, like, a bad person or any of these people are bad people. You know, I like keeping it at a professional level. But um, and that, that's the hard thing with being on a podcast like that. Like, you, you talk with these people and like, you're like, oh, they, see, they seem like nice guys, right? Or if you ever meet some of these guys, in, like, if you meet Pixelers in person, um, even ones that, you know, you don't really respect the ones that I feel like are fraudulent, like, you know, most, most, I, I tend to like most people. So sorry, I'm going off. Uh, no, I mean, I think, rails I, bit, think I think that this is the, this is kind of the, at the gist of this, right. And this is like the disagreement. And I think that the thing that, that, you know, the reason that, you know, if, if Gil and I are no longer friends, which I'm not sure we are or whatnot, it's because we have this fundamental disagreement about selling the selling of picks and sort of the moral hazard behind it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that, the idea that you were attacking Marco's livelihood, I, I get that from his standpoint. This is how he makes his living. But you you do actually have a problem with the way he makes his living. Like it's like, and I'm not saying this is the same thing, but it's like, let's say you had a moral problem with drugs and you met a drug dealer, you probably would attack that drug dealer for his business because you don't like the people that sell drugs. And maybe not all drug dealers are the same. Maybe some people are selling to children and trying to get them hooked on cocaine. And some people are just recreationally peddling, you know, I don't know, Adderall or something that's not too dangerous, but still not necessarily legal. Um, but you still have a problem with every drug dealer. And I think that's the same thing here. Like we have a problem with the business of selling picks. And you could say like, well, is there a way that you could sell picks and have it be valuable to people? What we've what we've determined on the show is it's it's really 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 difficult because if you are a good pick seller, your value to people is going to disappear really quickly because lines are going to move once you release picks. Um, so I mean I think that again the nature of this idea that that you know we're attacking people's livelihoods we we kind of are we are we're saying that that's not um, something that we would ever personally do and if you really are a good handicapper. Just go bet yourself, and you can make a lot of money, right? And and there is, there is there is challenges with getting money down. There's all this. I, I get it. I understand. And if you're good, you're going to get bounced out of places and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. Like, I mean, did you want to talk about you know Marco's well, long-term record? Well, I mean, on the Deadspin thing, it, I actually looked this up. The you know the Deadspin expose, and I'm sure uh, you know people are going to say that's not true, that's not right, or whatever. But you know, he, he was. And I don't know what years this is, but you know, one thousand two hundred eleven winning picks and one thousand two hundred forty-three losing picks for forty-nine point three percent. And you know, they said it was like negative twenty-five thousand in um, dollars if you'd bet. I think a unit is a hundred dollars. But but anyway, to finish my story, um, the the thirty-minute yelling match really didn't air. Gil, yeah, Marco said that basically made sure. It didn't. Um, and well, he, he he told, yeah, he said he wouldn't come on. The, he based, yeah, he kind of threw a big hissy fit about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's and by so. The way, 
By the way, I'm going on Gil's VEASAN show this afternoon to talk about the college football playoff stuff. So, I mean, I, I like, um, I know, Jeff, you, uh, I think it's, uh, to be honest, I'm kind of a bit of a people pleaser. Like, I don't like pissing people off, um, even though I tend to. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't like the fact that, like, Gil and I are no longer, like, cordial, like, we're friends. Like, I really actually like Gil a lot personally. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a challenge the last conversation he and I had because I was trying to explain something to him about, you know, the, the, the my feelings and like trying to explain what it was. And, and I think he was a bit dismissive of that. And I, I don't think that I handled it particularly well either. But again, like, you know, you are, you feel strongly about this, but like I can see in the notes for the podcast, you don't even want to say what's in these notes about the reality of the story. Right. And the idea that, you know, you had this real serious argument that probably was a valuable argument it probably was really interesting for the podcast but it never aired um because one person felt so strongly about it that they just wouldn't let it air um but again like you're gonna go on gill's podcast um again, well, not podcast like not, his radio show yeah but it's still you know he has all sorts of touts on his radio show too does he yeah i mean it's the same thing like you're going and supporting and and i'm not saying anything it's just like, like the bookmakers uh, like you know jimmy vaccaro and no, richie no, bachelary and those guys no he has he has other people. He has he has touts on it, like people well, that sell picks for sure. Well, I'm not going to be talking actually about. Um, I'm going to be talking about the college football modeling, college no, football I, stuff we're doing listen, for the Washington Post. Do 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 okay. what you want to do. I mean, it's it's and go on what shows you want to go on. But I but if you if you're going to be you know staunch on this, I don't want to be on shows that have people that sell picks. He has people on his show all the time that sell picks. So that's that's the reality of it. Um, well, I yeah. won't be on with them, though. I think that was the big thing with before. But I mean, you could make that argument with like, don't be on ESPN because ESPN has people that sell picks or don't like, you know, ever do well, anything my, with any media outlet because okay, the so said media should, outlet did something bad at one point. You can tell yeah, we should that, move on. You can <laughs> tell we feel pretty strongly about this. Um, I think that the reality is that, um, you know, for me, again, it it became sort of this like ethic, like, again, like. I like Gil a lot, but he still associates himself with these touts, right? And he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't make any bones about that. He he thinks that that podcast is a great podcast and all this kind of stuff. And it's super entertaining for some people. And I get it. But for me, like, I didn't want to continue to associate myself professionally with someone who associated himself professionally with those by association. So from you going on V's and and going on Gil's show, I still think you are associating with him professionally, which is like what I personally want to stop. So just just food for fodder for you. That's fair. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm trying to promote our college football stuff, but you're right. You're right. That's uh, well, that's make- that's a tout, man. That's essentially your touting. And your associates that we've basically said that we don't want to associate with professionally because you well, touts. Well, you said that. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to go on his pod with with. Vegas runner and and Marco, but anyway, let's uh, can we move on? Yeah, we can move on. Yeah, all right, let's just skip the rest of this stuff. Long. Um, let's move on to Man vs. Machine. Okay. Uh, first, wait. Do we want our uh, Man vs. Machine before our uh, our super contest picks? Okay. So uh, we'll start. Um, Pittsburgh is minus seven ish. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Against Tennessee, it, it's looking like, I mean, I'm seeing some um, plus uh, money on that uh, minus seven. Sorry, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up my 
numbers here. I have the wrong spreadsheet open. Bear with me. Okay, I make uh, machine makes that minus seven point three. So that's too close. Uh, we'll skip that one. Um, Chicago plus three juiced machine makes them plus one point five. Machine like Chicago. I'll take Chicago with you. Okay. Kansas City minus ten. Man, that I don't even know what number to go with there. Yeah. Um, machine makes them minus 3.6, so machines on the Giants. Uh, yeah, I'll take the Giants. Narrative there is they've quit. That's why there's so much value there. Of course. Love those narratives. My Okay, there's like one place that has the Miami game on, it looks like. Um, it looks like it's we, minus one and a half is what I'm Yeah, saying. I'm seeing that too. Um, machine makes it minus 0. 0.6, so I guess machine is on Tampa. I'm assuming it's Patrick. I like Clay. Tampa. I like Tampa. Okay, same side there. Baltimore minus two. Machine makes them minus 1.9. Um, On to the next one. Minnesota minus two and a half. Machine makes them minus 3.9. So machine is on Minnesota. Um, you hate LA. I don't hate them. I just you hate them. Don't I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll take the Rams. Just I'll take okay. the Rams. Just because. It's fun to make you hate LA even more. Um, Arizona minus one against Houston. Machine makes them plus three and a half. Um, so I'll take I'll take Houston, and the savagery will continue. Savagery. I'll take Houston also. Okay. So. Jacksonville minus seven and a half against Cleveland. Um, machine makes it minus seven point eight. Nothing there. New Orleans minus seven and a half against Washington. Machine makes it minus seven point nine. Nothing there. Chargers minus four and a half against Buffalo. Machine makes that minus four and a half. Wow. Um, Cincinnati or sorry, um, yeah, Cincinnati plus two and a half against Denver. Machine makes it plus zero point two. So machine likes Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati. New England minus. Six and a half uh, at Oakland. Machine makes it minus 5.6. I like New England. On Oakland. Okay. That's one of those ones where I'm like 51% in your... Yeah. yeah. This will tell us absolutely nothing. But uh, Dallas plus 3.25, we'll call it. Um, I make them plus 1.65, and that's against Philly. So you like so Dallas? machines on Dallas. Yeah, I like Dallas also. Okay, and lastly, Seattle, minus three. Machine makes them minus four and a half against Atlanta. So Machine likes Seattle. Uh, yeah, I like Seattle. So, so only disagreements are the Rams in New England. Two, two disagreements. Okay. All right. Super contest time. Super contest time. We How were we do last week, Jeff? We were two and three last week. That Cleveland game really screwed us over. Dude, Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, that, that, that halftime thing, and then I had, you know, I mean... You probably had Cleveland. That, that last sequence, I literally was like, they had first and goal at the like eight yard yeah, line no, down. No, I mean, it was tied was, in the fourth quarter, first and goal down fourteen, the, the chance to get that backdoor cover, and and I was like, Kaiser's going to throw a pick. I just know it, and he did. Did you guys have Cleveland in the second half? Um, you I probably did, but you didn't double did your not. position. Or I did not. We had Cleveland also in the second half, so we had Cleveland in the game and Cleveland in the second half. So that Always was a fun. double doozy. Okay, so uh, you want the first pick here? Uh, yeah, first pick. 
um, if you're going to say nothing, that makes for bad podcasting. So do you want oh, me I said, to? I said, do you want the first pick? And you said, yes, first pick. I said, do you? <laughs> Fine, I'll take it. I'll take the Giants. I don't know why people say we sound like vickering, vicker, a vickering couple. <laughs> hey, people also say we have great chemistry. So that's, uh, I think that's saying a lot about what marriage is about, right? I know. It's, balance between bickering and um okay i am going to take let's see here um i'm gonna take cleveland plus seven and a half okay I, I took the you got you got my giants one for the first one right yeah okay i'm gonna take two uh we'll, we'll snake this one i'll let you take the the next pick so you're on the fly you're changing things i'm gonna take cincy well i'm just i'm just scanning to see which ones i like the most i'm gonna take cincy at plus two and a half okay i like that i'm gonna take dallas i hope that yeah i'll take dallas dallas plus three and a half or three i don't know which one it's going to be but i think that that three and a half at that time and then we need a consensus um oh oh houston do you want to do Houston for that? I forgot about that game. Sure. Savages, quote, Savage Garden. Due. Yeah, he's due for what? I don't know. Being replaced. He's due for getting to actually play against a quarterback that might be comp- equivalent to how he is. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert. That's Blaine Gabbert. You know that, right? Yeah. Who's... Uh... Yeah, who's here? Who's Atlanta? Or sorry, who's Arizona's backup to Stanton? Because Stanton might not play, right? Are you even listening to me? I know. Yeah, I just said Blaine Gabbert. Oh, I thought you were talking about Blaine Gabbert being the backup for Savage. No, I believe Blaine Gabbert is starting right now for Stanton. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, wait, am I getting this wrong? And you call yourself a predictive analytics expert? (laughs) Hey, I, I I don't call myself that. That's what ESPN called me. All right, we're going to skip Survivor this week because I'm out and Rufus hates Survivor anyways. And if anyone wants a good Survivor pick, they can ping me uh, on Twitter and I'll look up Survivor Grid and read the top five (laughs) people for it on to you. Um, And if if you guys are interested in any of the college football stuff that I'm touting pretty hard, um, check the Twitter. I tweeted out a bunch of things with the pecking order and I think it's really cool stuff. So maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's less about betting and more about Analysis, it is really cool. But... It is really cool. So um, what I was saying, just so we, um, I'll talk to you about this off air. So, uh, okay. Well, thanks guys for uh, the time as always. Um, this was kind of long and rambling. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, as always, we want feedback. Um, we had some pretty cool stuff we were going to discuss today that we didn't get to. So we'll, we'll get to that next week. Um, and thanks again for the time. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.